Welcome back to another episode of The Hitchcock Minute. Each week, Movies by Minutes hosts examine the 1959 Alfred Hitchcock-directed thriller North by Northwest. One minute of screen time per episode. Uh, I'm Dave Forsyth. And I'm Todd Lucas. And together we... No. Um, <laughs> and we are the semi-official hosts of the Edge of Tomorrow Minute, which is coming to a podcatcher near you, um, you know, someday. 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 Today we are talking about Minute 63 of North by Northwest, which begins with a very qualified compliment and ends with cops in the men's room. Sounds like fun. Yeah, <laughs> always. One of the, well, we'll get there, but since I thought of it, I'm just going to say it now. They, the um, number one rule at my friend's house, he had like a list of party rules, and number one rule was come in, you're welcome, everyone's welcome here. Number two rule was that does not apply to cops. The cops are not welcome. Don't let them in. So that seems a little specific. Yeah. Well, it was a college party. There was probably lots of things going on that <laughs> we didn't want cops to know about. So, gotcha. but I don't imagine you could post that outside of a train room bathroom and have no. it. No. Yeah. No. No. And it wasn't a big deal back then. So, right. And cops aren't like vampires, right? Like they won't wait outside until you invite them in. This is true. Yeah. If cops had that weakness, they'd be almost useless. <laughs> they would be mostly useless. Yeah. Anyway, well, um, let's get into the, let's get into the action. You bet. Yeah. The sixth minute actually does have a little bit of action later on. It begins with the walk and talk or it continues the walk and talk from last minute. But uh, instead of the, the wider two shot of the, of even Thornhill walking, we get an alternating single bus shot uh, instead. And what Thornhill says pays Eve this highly qualified compliment. He says, I've ever spent the night on a train or night with on a train or something like yeah. that. So. And it, it was just horrible. I mean, it, it, it's not just that it could be read as several different insults towards her. <laughs> right. It doesn't speak highly of him either. Well, also true. Um, I think he maybe, I think he's trying to be flirty, like, Maybe he's nagging her a little. I don't really know. Yeah, I doubt it. I think he's playing it straight up. I think it's just, you That's know, just his sense is. of humor is, is um, thoughtless, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. So Eve kind of looks away from that. Maybe she's being coy or maybe she's a little embarrassed or maybe, <laughs> maybe she reads into his compliment. But her eyes yeah. kind of trail off to their left, which is uh, stage right. And then we get a sort of a cut to what has her concerned not concerned enough to actually look at it but uh, apparently her eve sense is tingling um <laughs> i don't know it, it's kind of looked to me like she's directing the scene at that point okay i'm oh. emoting and now i'm focusing to the side everybody look okay it's, these guys okay now look back this way yeah <laughs> so she's really just giving us the audience cues of what to look at right yeah you know how am i supposed to watch this silly thing oh my yeah. god but we see what she's looking at is uh, Van Damme and Leonard are now off the train as well. And they're they're heading in the same direction. Oh, my gosh. They look a lot more nonchalant than Eve uh, at this moment. But Van Damme still seems to be carrying that note from what would have been last night. Uh, he, uh, he's got, you know, the paper in his hands. And there's a crowd of other passengers leaving the track area directly behind Eve and Thornhill. And Van Damme and Leonard seem to be behind that crowd. So... I, Eve's intuition is must be really, really sensitive. So because there's got to be a lot of distance and people behind them for her to sort of catch that glance. But I, I, don't. Know. 
I doubt that's it. I think she just knows that they're yeah. coming. Eventually, she knows where they were, and she knows that they'll be following. I mean, right? So she, she's not actually looking at them. She's looking to see if they're close enough to be concerned with. Yeah, see if they're close enough to be stupid. She probably <laughs> would have looked directly at them if they were standing too close. Yeah, like, right. Come on, guys, get out of the way. Yeah, it's still not. I mean, we we know it narratively. Uh, but it's not clear at this moment that she's working with Van Damme, but she certainly seems she's very mm, concerned about, I don't know. She, she's just more concerned than he is at this moment, I guess is, is what uh, is, you know, he still seems kind of happy go lucky. And, and I think he seems particularly happy just now. I mean, he's had a good night. They've, uh, <laughs> you know, gotten off the train. They've gotten past the FBI, police, whatever right. they are. They've run the and, gauntlet, right? And he sees the doorway. And in his simplistic view of this sort of thing, he's 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 thinking, hey, look, something's about to happen. I'm almost to safety. And yeah. I don't think he's got that right, but whatever. Well, <laughs> I mean, his his next line, the very next thing that is said is, I, I think, think we, we made, made. Um, and then they cut um, to a, a POV shot as even Thornhill sort of are approaching the, um, the exit to the track area where they're, you know, go into the, the station proper. So, yeah. And I look at that shot and, and how far away they are from that doorway. And yeah. if the doorway literally is safety, it just from my modern movie watching sensibility, I'm thinking, Oh my God, they're so far away. So many right. things could happen between now and then. <laughs> Right. And in a modern movie, you would expect something to happen right then. But, but no. of course, nothing does. Right. Well, he, because I mean, he sees that there's no one between them and the exit. So he's, he thinks they're, they're free, but, uh, you know, they've, they've passed through the gauntlet of, of unknown law enforcement and, and they're very close to the, to the exit anyway. So here, when we get to the, to the doorway, you see there's a, a large crowd milling about on, on both sides of these large, industrial looking doors that sort of separate the, the outside area with the tracks and all the giant steel beams from the, the more plush inside. But you can see that there's, you know, <laughs> I was going to say foreshadowing, but we're only foreshadowing like 10 seconds into the future. But, um, there's some, you can see some other red caps milling around and Eve sort of smiles a little bit as, as they get towards this, uh, towards the station's main hall. Okay. I have an observation I need to make right there. Yeah. That little shot right there um, of Eve's left side. This is, a, a I think, a, a place where something went wonky with the, the direction because this is obviously Eva's bad side. She doesn't look particularly unattractive, but she doesn't look like her anymore from that side. We'll see more of it in a later minute, you know, when she's having a, a long, drawn-out conversation with that right. side facing the camera. But, yeah. I mean, even here, you're like, are we sure this is the same person? <laughs> yeah, we, you, you do get sort of a um, a different, well, because her, her hair is sort of done up in a way that it's pushed back on her left side and it's sort of down on the right side. And, and the sort of very put-together hairstyle is, you know, it, it tells a little bit about, well, her character, right? It's, it's, it's her identifying one of her identifying things. And so to see so much of her face without the hair, and I think I'm talking about that backwards, actually, I think it's yeah, something like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But yeah. Re and Reverse it. But yeah, something is not right. It's not balanced enough to where you recognize her instantly as the same actress. And I've gotten things like that from other movies in the past where you, you know, you just, 
for sure that they've, you know, the, the stand in is somehow still in the shot as they're walking out or something. I've even yeah. seen like production stills. Um, I think a movie called Kissing a Fool with uh, um, oh, Jason Lee. And I, for some reason, like this guy. But uh, the, the, the cover for the DVD does not look like him at all. Everyone oh, insists, okay. oh, yeah, that's him. But he does not even remotely look like Jason Lee, who has a very distinct kind of look. You know, you wouldn't mistake him. And I'm like, wow, something really weird happened there. So I was getting the same feeling here. I'm like, oh, they got a stand in for kind of a big, hey, my face is front and center and right up in the camera kind of shot. Yeah. Well, and you know what? I think I see, I think I, I, the, that section of the minute just scrolled past because I've got it on, on a loop here. And I think I see what the problem is, is that as they're walking directly towards us, we, it is the hair. We do see on that side that will eventually be towards the camera, her hair is down, right? Like it's, right. it's, it's a, uh, the way it is normally styled, but as she passes back past the camera, her hair is pulled back on that side, almost like it, it's meant to look as if it's tucked behind her ear a little bit. But mm. you can tell there's some sort of barrette or something, kind of some bobby pins hidden in there to to keep the hair back off of her face. So it it's totally changing the shape okay. of, of her. I'm head, seeing really. it now. Yeah, yeah, because they they wanted to expose more of her face to the camera, and that turned out to be a bad idea. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, good, it just, good catch. Just looked a little different. Yeah. <laughs> so here, right after they pass by the camera towards the main part of the hall, we get the twist of this train de- debarking section, right? Uh, disembarking, debarking. You, you know what I mean? Something like that. Yeah. Um, we we do a quick cut back to the train to see two uniformed cops and two plainclothes cops gathered around one of the doors to the train, and they all jump to assist what looks kind of like a drunk old man in a tattered onesie uh, <laughs> stumbling out of one of the train cars. I mean, he's got that stereotypical old man sock garters and he looks disheveled and uh, he, he's only partly dressed, right? Right. And then they immediately start to pester him with questions. It's a little confusing. Like, why are they bothering this, <laughs> this uh, hobo? But as he fully exits the train, we can see that he's actually being manhandled by a fifth cop who's behind him on the train. And this isn't just a, a drunk or a hobo. So, uh, not hobo shouts out, I don't know. That way. And he, he points in the direction of the exit, uh, where, where everyone is going. Right. <laughs> so right. the cops all scurry off in that direction too. And the camera cuts in tight on a shot of the not hobo. And, uh, it becomes clear that he had been the original, owner of Thornhill's red cap uniform because we see him sort of fiddle with the button on his, on his onesie. And right as he's doing that, this sort of the, the jaunty muted trumpet, um, and, and with the, and the warbly trombone, uh, music kind of, kind of kicks up. So we know action's coming, right? But right. we see, we see the, the hobo produce a wad of cash. Sorry, the not a hobo <laughs> produce a wad of cash from within his onesie. I, it's underwear. It's just the style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like a one-piece shirt and boxers kind of put together, but it buttons up the front, and he reaches in through those buttons where there isn't really a pocket. Like, there's literally holes in his shirt, too. Right. I was and, wondering how he was holding it there exactly. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. there doesn't seem to be an extra layer there. Yeah. It's, he, a, it's rather indecent. I'm, I'm sorry, old hobo, not hobo man. Yeah. Um, but he he pulls out a wad of cash out of his out of his underoos, and um, his, he smiles 
quite largely. And uh, as he's flipping through it, he's put one over on the cops, made some cash, got a got an hour off of work, not having to carry a lady's luggage around, and uh, probably probably made more doing that than he would have otherwise. So, so clearly, this is w- what we're meant to think here is that Eve and, and Thornhill have arranged with this guy to to buy his his uniform and pretend like he had been attacked. Obviously they hoped that the uh, ruse would last a little longer than just moving past the, the door. Uh, it was weird. I, I, for some reason I was getting the feeling that for some reason they had asked him to go to the cops after a certain amount of time. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Cause it seemed like the cops were pretty well occupied, not doing a damn thing outside until they found him. So yeah, I, I suppose it could have just been a, like, would they know that he will inevitably be found or that they said, you know, give us five minutes. And then, you know, if they'd said, give us five minutes, I'd think they would have been in a little bit more of a hurry to, to get out of the, the red cap uniform. So that all this brings up another point. I just, I'm curious, how much cash do you think Thornhill left New York with? I mean, through, through the movie, we see him pull out wads of cash for, any number of things. And this, this looks like a not, it's not a small wad of cash. Yeah. It's what, at least four bills. Yeah, at least. And you, well, maybe it's just cause it got crumpled in the, in the not a hobo onesie, but <laughs> it, it, I think it, it seems like Thornhill will carrying this wad of cash around in his pocket. Plus all the other cash that he brought out at various times, his pockets would be, big and billowy full of cash and right and you know he has claims of of money for he's gonna do this or do that later on and if he's got that kind of money on him i mean seriously what is that and he can't be carrying it all in singles if he's got that much money and i (laughs) I know we're talking about a different time and then the the money is worth a lot more so they didn't need as much to be able to do that but still you know the man's carrying a wad of 20s it makes him a target, doesn't it? Yeah, you'd think. I mean, even even a wad of tens that big, you're probably looking at some some trouble with with the ne'er do wells around town. So I don't know. It seems 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 like a lot to me, but it it, it may be just a an easy way to solve plot problems for for uh, oh, who's the guy who directed this movie? Hitchcock. Hitchcock. <laughs> <laughs> it may. <laughs> uh, brain not working need more money to make brain work exactly now it's it's not uh, yeah you know it doesn't make it makes plenty of sense i mean the guy is rich he's a, basically in charge of, of a marketing agency of some sort in right. new york i mean he goes out to expensive lunch all the time he well, has very expensive tastes he, he pays cab fare for his secretary to to come along with him and, and take her back to the office just so he can continue to dictate some notes. So. Right. So that obviously is worth that kind of money to him. His time is worth so much money that paying extra cab fare just to keep productive during that time. Yeah. It just feels insane to me. So that means that him having an, a bottomless pockets just after being kidnapped makes perfect sense. All right. Well, I guess it does make it sort of easy to, I mean, if someone were to kidnap me, today and then i suddenly broke free my life would would be entirely different because i don't think i've carried more than ten dollars in cash 
over, over the past, you know, four or five years, probably. So it's it's not. I mean, I'm flush right now. I've got an actual unbroken twenty. Ooh, look at you. <laughs> yeah, fancy pants. Generally, the most amount of cash I have on me is the two dollars I get back in the in the bottle return for the fancy milk we get at Whole Foods. <laughs> so sometimes I bring two bottles up back at once, and I got four dollars in my wallet. So. Wow. Yeah. yeah. What a yeah. pain. <laughs> I am frequently surprised when I, I pull out my wallet and there's those two dollars and it's like whoa what what is this doing here so so yeah i would not make it very far on uh an emergency run from the law business so yeah especially since our you know plastic money is so traceable they would always know where we were so yeah again probably a sign of of different times that <laughs> he may have had a diner's club or, or something like that back then i don't even know if they existed no yet, i'm but, not sure uh, about that that's crazy. <laughs> Would this movie be a lot different if he was just carrying a personal checkbook? You had to like sit there and, oh, let me write this <laughs> out for you. That's weird. Yeah. But that probably would have been more realistic. So <laughs> it's like, oh, no, I can't take a check for this. I'm like, yeah, okay, well, yeah. That would answer some questions about the where was he keeping the cash in his onesie, though. Right. Like a, a check is a lot easier to, to sort of secret away than a lot of bills. But yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that that the hiding cash in your onesie, it, it just uh, it means that maybe there are more skin folds underneath that onesie than I'd like to know about. All right. Well, <laughs> we do see their their ruse pay off here, though, because we get a quick cut to a high angle shot of the crowded lobby, the like the trackside lobby, um, not like the interior lobby of the LaSalle Street Station. We see the cops burst into frame from the lower right, and I'm making all these hand gestures that you can't see, but trust me, they indicate lower right. And um, the crowd is mostly travelers with luggage, and but from this vantage point, we can also clearly see at least 10 bright red caps intermingled in the crowd. And the music, again, picks up and, and gets a little more frantic as the cops are, at this point, accosting every single one of the red cap luggage porters, right? Yeah. And we see them grabbing them all because everyone's heading in one direction and the cops are coming from behind them. So we see them grabbing all the red caps, spinning them around pretty forcefully um, to a lot of surprised old man faces. And some of them don't seem as surprised as they should. Um, some of them, you know, look right. They look a little angry, like they're working class Joes. They might actually be ready to, to tussle with whoever just did that to them. Yeah. But the cops, on their part, they for the most part, seem to be looking really intent. Like they don't have a very good idea of what Thornhill actually looks like. So right. I don't know. I'm guessing maybe they don't even have photographs. I mean, it's not that time yet where then you could just find a fo- photograph of any particular suspect. Yeah. I mean, most of them have probably seen his photo from the paper, you know, they're like murderer, you know, Yeah, murderer. but that's about it. And none of them really look that much different. I mean, they're not, good looking at all but they you know all pretty much the same skin tone kind of the same facial structure it's yeah. like uh, hitchcock went out of his way to find people that were <laughs> similar enough that it would slow everybody down yeah no i i think that's probably right you, you do have a fairly homogenous group of like you know i'd say 35 to 50 year old white guys with the uh, sort of tall faces but yeah i did find something interesting about the the sound in in this particular moment the the we'll call it which we'll call the accosting of the red caps i suppose 
Sounds good. The, um, uh, you, you see the cops come in and they're like barking out orders and, and yelling at the red caps and you can hear their footsteps as they come up behind them. You can hear the rustling of the, the uniforms and the luggage and things as they spin them around. But you, you, you don't hear the things that they're shouting. It's like, right. it, it's meant to say that, you know, that it's loud in here. We can't hear them over what's going on, but you hear the footsteps and the rustling. Yeah. And it's very distinct and you can actually match some of it up with action on screen. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah. I kind of wondered about that myself. I'm like, did they just for some reason put Foley work in for the footsteps and stuff? And yeah, there was no onset audio or what's going on here. It's an interesting effect. I don't, I don't know if it was meant to, to do something or if, you know, the, I mean, the, that, that swell of horns there, the, you know, sort of, um, you know, you get, like I said, you get sort of a war- warbly trombone and then these staccato bursts of, of a muted trumpet, uh, some of the more recognizable music from this movie, maybe. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a great soundtrack or a great score, um, but this is definitely, you know, the piece that sort of sticks out to me. So maybe they just didn't want to overdo that too much. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I can't really think about what the effect, you know, the intended effect might've been. I I think maybe it was just like, yeah, that's good enough. (laughs) Yeah. Could be, could be. I mean, maybe with too many shouting voices, it would have been too chaotic or, Um, you know, maybe they tried it both ways and liked this one better, but. Yeah. I think the, the, the trumpet and trombone music is, is already frantic enough. It, it actually, when I hear it, you know, and I'm watching it on loop here too, but you know, I've got the volume down low and I, it, it it makes it hard for me to focus on what you're saying sometimes <laughs> when I hear it going I'm like, Oh man, what the hell? Yeah. But yeah. So I thought if it were me, I would have just cut off ambient sound from the, the shot because, you know, just focused right on the score because they're really not doing anything. Nobody's talking. Yeah. Footsteps. Maybe, you know, if you're going to do sound, make it a little less obvious that it's but, supposed to be the, the cop's footsteps. Right. Just general um, like crowd milling noise. Yeah. Yeah. A hubbub. Yeah, yeah. It would have been fine. Yeah. If if anything, this Foley's too specific. Yeah. It's like somebody was working <laughs> extra hard and probably shouldn't have. Well, I mean, you know my dream of, of being a Foley artist. So I, yes. You know, I, yes. Yes. Uh, this is totally something I would have I would have done probably. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, they would have said, Hey, look, we got this last scene that needs some Foley work done. Can you come in this weekend and just, just knock it out for us so we can get this done? Give it to the interns. They'll they'll take care of it. You would have taken care of it, that's totally. for sure. Totally. So what do you think about this last red cap, the old guy? The kind of silver haired guy or the, the long yes. face guy? Yeah, the silver. The silver haired guy. Yeah. Because he looks like they went and found on purpose, found somebody who looks just like Cary Grant would in 30 years. Oh yeah. I could definitely see that. I was sort of looking at he he's definitely the most indignant of the guys they turn around, yeah. I think. And he turns around, he it gives that look, and it's it's almost like he was studying Cary Grant to just give that one look because he I've seen Cary make that face before. Isn't this a kind of squinting, you know, hard one eye look? Yeah. And so it seemed like they wanted to, you know, somebody and it's like, ha, it's it's him. No wait. It's him in thirty years. <laughs> Maybe it's his uncle or his father or something. Yeah, like I was wondering about that too. That would be kind of fun. Most of the stuff is uncredited. It's really hard to to research. Yeah. And, um, you know, when you've had a scene where you've turned around 10 red caps, how do you, how do you credit like red cap number nine? Exactly. So it's like, I've always aspired to be on a TV show and be thug number two, number two specifically. Uh, number one. 
Yeah, number one is too oh, much yeah, responsibility. And that guy usually gets shot, so. <laughs> yeah, right. I just want to punch a few guys and then scramble away in, in uh, fear when someone gets exactly. get shot. So after the, the turning of the caps, uh, or what did, I, what did I say we were going to call it? The accosting of the red caps? Yes, they're both good. It seems real easy to name that and have it come out sounding dramatic. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's a it's a brief but dramatic. Uh, we call it the parting of the red caps, maybe. <laughs> maybe yeah, that's a little too religious. So. Yeah, but still, it's funny. Yeah, I guess so. Anyway, so <laughs> now after that, we we jump cut to two men in a mirror of the, of the men's room, shaving cream on their faces, or they're applying, or, or you know, mid shave. One of them is clearly Thornhill. Um, and he's in his shirt sleeves with no tie. And his neighbor is even more casual in just an undershirt and pants with his suspenders sort of undone and, and hanging hanging down. There's other activity going on all around them in the in the bathroom. And you can tell that this is sort of a, a full service restroom. There's a big sign above this says showers, lavatories, stool, 50 cents. I'm not sure. Like... I'm hoping that stool just means like a place to sit, but you never know. A shower stool, probably. Sounds uh, kind of Japanese, oh, though. Yeah, yeah. Eh, interesting. But there's anyway, there's lots going on in this restroom. There's a, a couple other men um, still in their suits that are that are moving through the sink area and washing their hands and whatnot. There's a gentleman behind the shavers that you can that he appears to be taking a nap. You can see him in yeah, the mirror. I was about to mention him. I like that guy. He's got a nice tie. He seems <laughs> yeah. like he might be dead. You know. <laughs> We've got a real Weekend at Bernie's situation going on. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's a different movie just playing through in the background of this thing. Yeah, that's right. All, all movies uh, exist within the same universe. We just got to find the intersections. So, Yep, it's Bernie, all right. And I'm looking yep. at him now. Still <laughs> like that tie. I'd like that. Yeah. And there's another guy in the background struggling with uh, one of those, like, leave your luggage lockers. But, uh, but yeah, we see detectives Laurel and Hardy burst into the room. And we see all this action in the mirror, right? We we don't ever cut away from that shot of Thornhill and his his shaving neighbor. Everything everything we see goes on in the behind them in the mirrors, but it's in front of them. So it's yeah, it's it's a it's a well constructed shot, I think. Yeah, it, it gives us all the information we need without having to move the camera at all. Yeah, yeah, and it it um it it sort of places Thornhill in a more like it makes his disguise seem uh, more plausible because it, it's just it's the guy they're looking for with a little bit of shaving cream. You know, it's a very Clark Kent disguise, but right. You know, the the fact that he never turns turns towards them, they they never get a good clear look at his face because they don't right. stop them and, and look in the mirror. They and they're probably looking for a red cap at this point, right? They're not they're not looking for for a, a dude in the bathroom. What they're probably looking for is either. You know, a guy in a red cap outfit, a guy who's just ditched a red cap outfit or, or something. Or Cary Grant. <laughs> or, or Cary Grant, right. And they don't yeah. see any of that, right? They, right. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm noticing that, uh, that uh, uh, Detective Laurel, I'm going to call him, okay. uh, <laughs> does the same thing that the uh, uh, cop outside did and blows the whole thing by looking Thornhill directly in the eye. Of course, it's in the mirror this time. But for a brief second, he looks directly at him and then looks away. You know, as if making eye contact with the person you're looking for doesn't make you go, hmm, is that maybe the person? Right. I mean, knowing yeah, full so well that the, that the guy that they're looking for has spent the night on the train in hiding, so probably not shaving on the train. So he, <laughs> he, would, he would 
you know, need a shave. So I don't know. I'm getting the impression that just on set, it's really hard for any of the extras and any of the other, you know, the lesser actors are having trouble not looking at Cary Grant. It's like, oh my God, I'm in the same room with Cary Grant. <laughs> could be, could yeah. be. <clears throat> but, you know, here we, we see that Eve's insistence that he change uh, in the men's room or wherever saved his bacon again. So this is like his third saving that he owes her right so yeah it, it's starting to seem a little suspicious it's that third time you're like uh oh, yeah. so maybe she's helping him to lead him somewhere doesn't want to get him caught by the fbi he needs to go somewhere in particular yeah right yeah he's he's definitely the uh to the sheep to her sheep dog at this point so but yeah the, the minute sort of ends with the cops giving the one cop giving a Hey, let's go this way. Head nod, presumably to some other off-screen cops that we can't see, and then they all disappear deeper into the men's room. So, yeah, that's that's pretty much where where this one ends. I don't know what else. What else do we got to talk about here? Nothing in particular. This this is you know a good minute out of our batch. It really leads one from one to another. You know, with actual action. I mean, yeah. seriously, they they are arrowing off-screen, wanting us to follow them. So yeah, for sure, and. And really, we we spent a few minutes just doing walk and talks, right? So now we 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 get and we got a little bit of a twist with the reveal of the the not a hobo, and then the parting of the red caps, um, and the and the search continues. So yeah, this is this is really sort of um, as actiony as we as we've gotten this week. So if that's it, we'll uh, just remind you that you can find the Hitchcock Minute podcast on Apple Podcasts and Google Play or at the main site, HitchcockMinute.com. You can connect with us and all of the rest of the Hitchcock Minute hosts on social media at The Man on Washington's Nose on Facebook or on Twitter at Hitchcock Minute. Um, so if you'd like to join us for Minute 64 of North by Northwest tomorrow, we'll be here. Bye, Mr. Thornhill, wherever you are.